So, so we're carrying on. Now, continuing the same, but now we're reading from the message translation. We read previously from the new, new, uh, the NCV, New Century, <laughs> the New Century version. So now this is Ephesians 1 from the message translation. And I'm going to give a slight running commentary like I did previously. It says, I, Paul, I'm under God's plan. I am under God's plan as an apostle. I was an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you faithful Christians in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives by God our Father and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed is God? And what a blessing he is. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made holy, or to be made whole, spiritually, emotionally, and physically congruent, whole, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing out of place, everything in perfect syncopation, whole, shalom, that's what that is meant, to give us shalom and holy by his love, holy means separated to him for his own purposes, long, long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. What are we? We are a free people. Hallelujah. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people free of penalties and free of punishments, shut up by all our misdeeds, free from sin, free from sickness, free from poverty, free from death, free from the fear of death, free from the power of the devil. And not just barely free, either. Abundantly free. Jesus says, I have, says, the thief, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come. Present continuous ad infinitum. Not that I come, I am coming. Mm. I am here. Right? To give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Says we are abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans it took such delight in making. Hallelujah. He set it all out before us in Christ. See, this plan is not a mystery to us. He set it all out in Christ. He got our hopes up. He had his eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Hallelujah. You know when a man says, when someone says, oh, I have designs on that babe. 
right? He has plans. So he says he has designs on us. He has plans for us. What is plans? His plans are for us for glorious living, for a glorious life. Part of the overall purpose is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, believed that this message of your salvation found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit. Sealed, bam, the locus sigilli. The locus sigilli. You know, when you sign a lease, a contract, that where you put the seal, bam, that's what I'm saying here. Signed, sealed, actually that's when you draft the lease, that's what you're at. Signed, sealed, and delivered by the presence of so it says, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, signed, sealed, and delivered. This truth. It says, this signet. Now, you know, if you're a bishop, you have those big rings that they wear. It's not, it's not just a ring. It's actually a, a seal. Right? So when they want to sign an agreement, they just open it and do that. It's a seal. And he presses it and the thing is it has a crest of the bishop on it. Alright. Or um, the king. Uh, or the king, yeah, the, the, yes. The priest, the priest, no no, the bishop or the king, the signet ring, that's what that's what that is. So yes. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. So what God has planned for us is a praising and a glorious life. That's why, when I heard of your solid, of the solid trust you have the Master Jesus, and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop. You know what John, uh, John the Beloved said in Second John and Third John. It says, you know, I was glad when I heard of you and your children were doing well. He says, that's what it's saying here. When I heard that you were doing well, I mean, I was with you guys for three years to establish this church. Went through some persecutions and things. But now I've gone away and I'm in prison, but I'm getting good news that you're doing well. It wants the cockles on my heart, like you say if you're in Scotland. It says, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'll think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask. I ask. Thanking is one thing. Praising is one thing. Washing is one thing. Asking is one thing. Petitioning is one thing. Supplicating is one thing. All of them are prayer, but in different aspects of the whole deal. Adoration is one thing. Every says so I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'll think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask. I ask, I ask, I ask, ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, number one, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He's calling you to do. See, that's what Paul says. So Paul says here, um, I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. 
So he's saying here, the prayer is that, you know, you two will see what God wants you to do and be able to say, I am whatever your I am is, because that is what God wanted. So that you can see exactly what it is calling you to do. Uh-huh. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us would trust him. His work in us would trust him. His work in us would trust him. Then you will know the utter extravagance of his work in you, faith, because you trust him. His power inside you. See, listen, the power is not going to come because you do anything. The power is already inside you. Why? Because you trust him. It says that you will know, that's a prayer, that you will know the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. The endless energy, the boundless strength. Then it says, all this energy is not energy in the flesh. This is not sweat. This is not making it happen. This is not, I'm, I will struggle and strive and strain and stress myself. No. It says, all this energy issues from Christ. Hallelujah. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. That's Christ. Hallelujah. Everything from galaxies to governments. Wow. Nobody, beware. Christ is in charge. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord over the nations of earth. That's why. He's in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power except from his rule. No name, no power except from his rule. No name and no power exempt from his rule. No name, no power, exempt from his rule. No name, no power, exempt from his rule. What is it, Proverbs? The hearts of kings and princes are well. In the hearts of the Lord, he turns them to relax. No name, no power, exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. Has a final word in everything. At the center of all this, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Right? He is the ruler of the church. He is the owner of the church. It is the church of Christ, not the church of anybody. Right? He, Christ, rules the church. The church, you see, now listen to this, it's interesting. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, the church is at the center, not the world. The church is at the center, dominating, ruling, controlling, exercising prophetic authority. The church is not at the center because we are taking over government and taking over doing several mountains and taking over politics. No, that's not scriptural. The church is not at the center because we are setting up Christian down. The church is the center because as the church we can speak prophetically into the affairs of the nation. Amen? We're not striving to be politicians. We're not striving to be entertainers. We're not striving to be business people. Now, Christians can be that. Christians are all of this, but as the church, no. That's not our placement. 
but the church is not, says, listen to this, the church is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which it speaks and acts, by which it fills everything with his presence. So what's the deal? Wherever the church of the Lord is present, Christ is there. Christ has filled his church and he has filled everything around him with his presence because his church is there. And whether his church is by two or by three or by 20 or by 30 or by 200 or by 300 by 2,000 by 3,000 by 20,000 by 30,000 by 200,000 by 30,000 by 2 million by 20 million and counting. The church of the Lord now is about 1.7 billion on the face of the earth. So it's a very significant number. I mean, how many people was it required to save Sodom and Gomorrah? 10. We're 1.7 billion. All right. The church is Christ's body, which is speaks and acts, by which it fills everything with his presence. Praise God. You know, when we're looking at Ephesians, we looked at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 last Sunday. We read through, we're only able to deal with Ephesians chapter 4 anyway. So, so we're going to go back, we're going to revisit it. And we're going to go to chapters. So today we're just doing Ephesians chapter 1. Now, this is a letter and a piece of, you know, someone made a joke once and says, the wife of an apostle is an epistle. <laughs> well, no. An epistle is simply a letter, right? And so we believe that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, and that Paul wrote the letter whilst he was in prison. This is one of his prison letters, in addition to the one to the Philippian church. He wrote the letter while he was in prison. He wrote it. Just like I wrote a letter to, I wrote it to the Ephesian church. But actually, it wasn't like directly to the Ephesian church. It was more like a general episode that he wrote to other churches. It was also read of different churches. So this is a letter to a church. But in any case, whatever it was, it was a letter to the church and starting with the church at Ephesus. At that time, the church at Ephesus was the largest church in Christendom was the largest, the biggest of the churches. And at that time, or about that time, the pastor was Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of the church at Ephesus. So you remember Paul wrote epistles to Timothy, first and second Timothy. He wrote it to Timothy, who was a pastor of the Ephesian church. Also, when Jesus was speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation, he spoke to the Ephesian church. And then, because Paul spent three years in Ephesus establishing the church, there's a lot said about the church in Acts 18 and 19. It's been three years there. So, in fact, the Ephesian church is the church that we actually know the most about in the New Testament. It's the church that we most written about. So, in the book of Acts, in, of course, the epistle to the Ephesians, in the book of Revelation, and epistles uh, uh, to Timothy. And all of this is talking about the life of the church. Now, the first thing we know is about that. But of course, we talked about 
it is from Paul. Now let me read chapter 1 from the New Century Version. It makes it interesting. Well, um, it says, from Paul. So we know who's writing this now, from Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus. I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. See, God wanted me to be a teacher, wanted me to be an evangelist, wanted me to be a prophet, I love that. But I am an apostle because that's what God wanted. The point I was only making was that I'm not an apostle because any man called me or any man chose me. I'm an apostle because God himself ordained me to this work. To God's holy people living in Ephesus, believers in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what's also interesting. Verses 3 to 14, right, was actually one statement. Paul made one sentence without drawing breath. There was no comma, there was no, he was so excited at what he wanted to say. He just kept going and going, going and going. There was no comma, there was no full stop, there was no semicolon, there was nothing. It was just one statement, that long speech. Was the people then began to break it up. So here's what it says, just to show you how excited he was about this thing he was saying. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving, praise and worship. In Christ, in Christ, so you notice the number of times it says that. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heaven, heavenly world. That is, in Christ, he chose us before the world was made so that we will be his holy people, people without blame before him. Because of his love, God had already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. Before we did anything good, bad, or ugly, before we did anything right or wrong, God had already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. That was what he wanted. Now, I like that, the way he puts it here. Now, that's his will, right? But here it says, I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. I am chosen because that's what God wanted. That was God's uh, will, God's desire. That is what he wanted and what pleased him. And it brings praise to God because of his wonderful grace. God gave that grace to us freely in Christ, the one who loves. In Christ, we are set free. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiven the saints. How rich is God's grace, which is given to us so fully and freely. God, with full wisdom and understanding, let us know his secret purpose. God, let us know his secret purpose. Now remember, it is not a mystery if you know it. Right? The, the word is mysterium. A mystery, this is, you know, it's hidden from the outsider. So if you are an insider, it is not a mystery. It's truth, it's revelation, you know this stuff. So it says, in Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death, and so we are forgiven sin. How rich is God's grace, which is given to us so fully and freely. God, with full wisdom and understanding, let us know. In other words, we know. We are not, this is not a mystery anymore. We know this thing. Let us know his secret purpose. This was what God wanted. See, number 10 said that as well. And he planned 
to do it through Christ. His goal was to carry out his plan, carry out his plan when the right time came. What was his plan? That all things in heaven and on earth would be joined together in, in Christ. Now I keep emphasizing that. And then you hear, see, in Christ, make a note, or you saw it through Christ, make a note. We'll be joined together in Christ as a head. Verse 11. In Christ, we were chosen to be God's people because from the very beginning, God had decided this and came on this plan. And he is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and wants. It is God who makes everything agree with what he decides. Remember, Romans 8 tells us that. It says, you know, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here it says, it is God. He is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and wants. Verse 12. We are the first people who hoped in Christ. And we were chosen so that we would bring praise to God's glory. So it is with you. So it is with you. When you heard the true teaching, the false teaching, when you heard the true teaching, the good news about your salvation, you believed in Christ. You didn't believe in a man. You didn't believe in a teaching. You believed in a person, in Christ. And that's important, we shall find out. And in Christ, God put a special mark of ownership on you by giving you the Holy Spirit that he had promised. God has sealed you, has put a stamp on you in Christ. The, that Holy Spirit is a guarantee that we will receive what God promised for his people until God gives full freedom to those who are his to bring praise to God's glory. What's the purpose of everything? The purpose of everything is to bring praise to God's glory. Everything. To bring praise to God's glory. That is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I said, we asked this question last Sunday. What are those two most important things? Your faith and your love. Your faith and your love. Now Paul also said it different. He says, there exists this Three. Three things. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But your faith and your love. That is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped. I like that. I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. I always remember you in my prayers. Two things. I have not stopped giving thanks and I always remember you in my prayers. I have not stopped giving thanks. I always remember you in my prayers. I heard some good news about you. I heard about your faith and about your love. So I have not stopped giving thanks. I also remember you. So we talk about, I think in King James it says, I never cease to mention you. So we talk about the prayer of mention. You know, we talk about how, that's how you pray for a lot of people. By mentioning them. As you mention their names before the Lord, like the high priest carrying the names of the tribes of Israel on his chest. When you mention them before the Lord, God puts his eyes on them. 
and maybe as you mentioned and then you're quickened you pray something specific but this is what you're saying here I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you I also remember you in my prayers now what are my prayers this is what I pray for you asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father to do what to give you a spirit or attitude or inclination of wisdom and revelation why so that you will know him better first prayer part. I didn't pray for you to have a house or to have land or to have a husband or to have a wife I pray for you first prayer that you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better number two I pray also that's verse 18 I pray also that you will have greater understanding in your heart so you will know the hope to which he has called you called us and that you will know how rich and glorious are the blessings God has promised his Holy Spirit remember what it says in verse 3 it says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world he has blessed us with our spiritual blessings in heavenly places so he says i am praying that you will know how rich and glorious are those blessings with which we've been blessed in heavenly places in christ jesus and you will know that god's power is very great for us who believe because you know you know why this is important if you know the greatness of the power of God how can you ever be afraid of the devil I had a dream somebody was chasing me um, the witchcraft spirit a spiritual arrow now the reason why people have those fears is because they don't know this if you know the greatness of the power of God and the power of God is the greatest power on earth you know that nothing that's why Paul could say none of this things move me that's why, you know, again, in Ephesians, it talks about how you're protected from other fear and death of the devil. But if you don't know the power of God, you live your life in fear. And we go to church every day, praying against enemies, fighting enemies, wrestling with enemies in our sleep, because we don't understand this. It says, I pray that you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. And now, notice, this force who believe is not that you have faith for the power. How do you know that? It's just because you're a believer. Just because you are a believer, the power of God is very great in your life. Whether you believe it or not is a different matter. It says, His power is very great for us to believe. It says, that power, see, this power of God, and I want to give you a comparative analysis. It says, that power is the same as the great strength which God used to raise Christ from the dead. The same power. This is the same power that you have inside of you, right? It says, this power is that same resurrection power which God used to raise Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in heaven world. God has put Christ over all rulers, over all authorities, over all powers, over all kings, not only in this world, but also in the next. God put everything under his power and made him the head over everything for the church. What is the church? The church, which is Christ's body. It says this church, which is Christ's body, is filled with who? With Christ. 
is filled with Christ. So listen to what it says here. God put everything under his power. And God made under Christ's power. And God made Christ to be the head over everything for the church. Alright? This church is Christ's body. And this church is filled with Christ. Right? Who has all power. And who has got all of this power for the church which is filled with him. And Christ fills everything in every way. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So now we come to part three of our message. The message in four parts. Part four will be when we're taking contributions from everybody else. Part one we read from the New Century version. Made a slight running commentary. Part two we read from the message translation. Made a slighter running commentary. And now, past three, we're just going to look at 16 lessons that we glean from chapter one. So this is a gleanings from Ephesians chapter one. And we're going to be, I'm just going to read them out, maybe comment a bit. We've made some of the commentaries already anyway, so go along. So here's the first lesson. Lesson number one, grace and peace come from God and Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. So what have we said about grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. And we add, it's not just the favor of God, it's also the available power of God to live the life that grace has brought us into. And it says, and peace comes from God. So what is peace? So two words for peace now. In Greek, the word is irene, which is like in English you say Irene, the name Irene, peace, or Irenic, when you want to use it as a, a descriptive adjective, I think that's what that is, okay. Irenic, and the Hebrew is Shalom. So what is this peace, this Shalom, this Irene? Shalom is, we describe it like this, a state of perfect equilibrium, a state of total balance between your spirit, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your body. A place where you're spiritually healthy, psychologically whole, physically well. A place where your finances and your family and your faith are intact. With a shalom, is that state where there's nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing out of place, everything in sync, everything in divine order. A place, you know, sort of your life is where everything is where God wants it to be. Amen? So Shalom is a life lived right in the very center of God's will. So, but those two things, grace and peace, they come from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Son, and they are mediated by us incidentally through God the Holy Spirit. So this whole grace and peace transmission, the Godhead is involved. Second lesson, I mean, before that, we'll talk about Paul, but then let's go on. Second lesson, number two, we learn that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
right? The Roman Virgin, I think the NIV says, the King James says that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's the first thing to note. We have been blessed. Amen? Not we will be blessed if we meet certain conditions. Not we will be blessed if we pray and fast and go to Ryoke and go to the mountain. Not we will be blessed if we go to a particular man of God. No, 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 no. We are blessed already with every, not some, every spiritual blessing. And these blessings are where? In heavenly places. And heavenly places are where? In Christ Jesus. Well, which is why I find it strange when someone says, the devil stole my blessings. How can the devil steal your blessings? Your blessings are where? In heavenly places. Heavenly places are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is in you. You all are in God. Uh, where is the devil? How can the devil steal your blessings? The devil cannot steal your blessings. You are the only one that can hand it over to him by your unbelief and your fear. But the key thing is that we've been blessed and empowered, energized to prosper by God with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now let me talk about this whole idea of spiritual blessings. Now when you think about spiritual blessings, you think, oh, well, spiritual blessings, right? So that is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all of those spiritual qualities and holiness and everything. That's true. But you see, that's a limited understanding of it. Basically, here's what it's saying. You've been blessed and all your blessings come from heaven. They come from the realm of the spirit. Because that's what James was saying. He says, all good and perfect gifts are from above and coming down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness and shadow of turning. You see the point here now? Every good and perfect gift, every blessing is from above. So whether it is a material blessing, physical blessing, a spiritual blessing, a financial blessing, a matrimonial blessing, whatever kind of blessing, every blessing is from above. So when you talk about spiritual blessings here, it's not just tying it to quote-unquote spiritual things. Every aspect of your life, you're blessed. Number three. Okay, we said that, number three. These blessings are in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We said that already. Number four. God chose us. He chose us. He chose us to be. Now, you know, here's what I mean, right? He chose us to be something. He chose us to be holy and to be blameless. Right? Now, here's an interesting thing. He chose us before the foundation of the earth. He chose us in Christ to be holy and to be blameless. What that means by definition is this. If he has chosen you to be holy and blameless, here's what has happened. Two things have happened. One, he has made you holy and blameless. And two, he has given you the capacity to walk out in holiness and blamelessness. So if you're in Christ, you cannot say, I cannot live the holy life. Because that is what you, that's your, basically that is your nature. Your nature now is a nature of holiness and blamelessness. You've been chosen. The mark has been put upon you. This is who you are. You are holy. So when we say, like when we pray in church, it says, all our people are righteous. We're praying that this morning. Which is, you know, all our people are righteous. That's our definition. 
all our people are righteous. I will keep declaring that until we enter into the fullness of that. He has told us, this is what you are chosen to be, holy and blameless. This is your heritage. This is your DNA. This is your life. This is who you are. You are a holy person. You are a blameless person. Number five, he adopted us to be his sons. Now, this is interesting. Paul was making a reference to something that happens in um, Roman society. When a child is born, like Ezra is born, um, the child is presented to the father. Then the father calls a trusted slave, servant, and hands the child over to that slave. That slave's job is to train that child. Then at the age of 13 or 14, the child is presented to the father. If the father accepts him, they then go through an adoption ceremony. Where the father now goes to a whole ceremony to adopt. The child is his natural son. So they go to the ceremony to adopt him. If the father rejects him, he's sent out to be thrown to the, to the rocks and killed. That was the order in Roman Empire. So Paul was using that. That, you know, God, you know, so by nature, we're, we're, we're sinners, all of that stuff. So we're not, you know, we've. Um, Adam fell, the sin and all that. Now Jesus came, restored, blessed, and then by his resurrection from the dead and all of that, by his atonement, his salvation, just in all of that, he then created an opportunity now for us to be adopted into the family as sons of God. It says you've been adopted to be his sons. Mm -hmm. Number six, his grace has been freely given to us. His grace, men in his favor, Men in his mercy, men in his energy, men in his strength, men in his ability, men in his enablement, you know, men in the drive, men in whatever it is you need to live this life of God. You know, unfortunately, in many places, grace has been taught to mean a license to sin. No, grace is not a license to sin. Grace actually just gives you liberty to serve because. With grace comes the energy and the power to live right. So if you claim to have grace and you're living in sin, well, we need to call that into question. We need to call that into question. We need to call your salvation, your so-called salvation into question. You're, you're, you say you're born again, saved by grace through faith, and then you're living in sin. No. That's not what grace teaches. In fact, Titus takes two chapters or one or two, one chapter to tell us exactly what grace teaches. It says, this is what grace teaches. Grace teaches us how to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Grace teaches us how to live in this world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. Grace teaches us how to look forward to the glorious revelation of our great and awesome Savior. Grace teaches us how to serve as an employee. No, no. That's grace in Titus. Grace teaches us, I'm actually, this is all from Titus, by the way. Grace teaches us how not to answer back and display rudeness. Grace teaches us how not to steal time, money, product, or service. Grace teaches us how to submit to government and its officials. Grace teaches us how to be always ready to do the good deed and to speak the good word. Grace teaches us how not to speak evil of anyone. Grace teaches us how to avoid quarrels. 
Grace teaches us how to be gentle. Grace teaches us how to show true humility to everyone. Amen. It says, learning these lessons and living in and by the energy which grace supplies, we begin to make the teaching about grace attractive to all and sundry. By so doing, we met, by so doing, more people are brought into the kingdom. All because we are not taking liberty for license. We're not taking grace as an opportunity for self-indulgent rationalization and fractious, sinful behavior. It says, His grace has been fairly given to us, and that's what it teaches us to do. Number seven, we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. I'm just reading through now. Number eight, <laughs> number eight, he has revealed his will to us. Remember what I said earlier on? It's not my mystery. We know. It's not my mystery. We know. He has revealed his will to us. This is to the effect. That's his will. That all things in heaven and earth will be brought together in Christ Jesus. See, you know, what's the essence of the book of Ephesians? It's about the unity of the body of Christ. This is the book about the body of Christ. Apart from the Father, is the book that tells you who you are in Christ. And then number nine, it says, we were chosen for the purpose of his glory. We were chosen to give God glory. Your life is supposed to radiate the glory of God in every one of his manifestations. Number ten, we, having believed, are marked with the Holy Spirit. We're sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. We have the mark. 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 And just as a, a side trip here, you know, we talk about the mark of the beast. Right? Now, and we're talking about 666, written on your head, written on your hand, written on this, all of that. This is the mark of the Holy Ghost. It's not a physical mark. So maybe you should think about that. It says, the mark of the Spirit, we are sealed. Then it goes on. What is it? Number 11. So this is Paul's conversation. A report of growth, whether individual or corporate, a growth in faith and love is generally an occasion for thanksgiving and prayer. It says, when I heard, I give thanks. Not only I give thanks, I asked God to do some stuff. And so the same thing also, when we hear, we pray. Now, maybe it's not always hearing about their faith and their love, but when we hear anything, this is not always it. <laughs> you pray. And if you pray and you give thanks. Amen. Amen. Twelve. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know God better. It says, that's what I pray. I pray for you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I mean, I've been praying this prayer for myself since I was 18. I read in a book by Kenny Hagen that he started praying this Ephesians 1 prayer, Ephesians 3 prayer, um, for six hours every day. Six hours every day, every day for six months. Let's bring this on prayer. Pray that God will grant to me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know God. Number 12, number 13, we need to have our eyes flooded with light in order to know why we are Christians, to know how excited God is about our being as children, and to know the power which is made available to us to live a godly life. Listen. That power is available now. You don't have to do anything else to get the power. Amen? You have the power right now. I have the power. We have the power right now. All right. Uh, 14. 
this power is equable, is equable, is the same as resurrection power. The resurrection power by which Jesus was raised alive. One version puts it this way. It says, the power by which God, exercising the force of his mighty spiritual muscles, raised Jesus from the grave. It says, so basically inside of you, inside the body of Christ, we have the mighty spiritual muscles of God. Not our muscles, the muscles of God acting on our behalf. Amen? 15. Resurrection is the greatest demonstration of divine energy ever since, since creation power was unleashed. Indeed, resurrection power supersedes creation power. In fact, here's why I put it. Resurrection power subsumes creation power into itself and then adds um, ascension power into itself, then adds giving gifts to men power, then adds sitting at the right hand side of measure high power, and then adds having uh, ever living to make intercession for us power. All of those things are subsumed under resurrection power. It says that is the power that you contain as a child of God. That's the power that we possess as the church of the living God. And number 16, it says all things. Everybody say all things. 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 I mean, it's important. I mean, that comes so strongly. It's important to know it's all things. All things social, economic, political, ecclesiastical, governmental, demonic, satanic, angelic, and the family. All things have been put under the feet of Jesus. Why? So that the church can exercise authority. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Grace and peace come from God and Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This blessings and heaven and realms of Christ Jesus. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He adopted us to be his sons. His grace has been freely given to us. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. He has revealed his will to us. This is the effect that all things in heaven and earth were brought together in Christ Jesus. And we're chosen to be for the purpose of his glory. We, having believed, are marked with the Holy Spirit. A report of growth, whether individual or corporate, in faith and love, is generally an occasion for thanksgiving and prayer. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know God better. We need to have our eyes filled with light in order to know why we are Christians. How excited God is about our being as children and the power which He made available to us to live a godly life. This power is equable to resurrection power by which Jesus was raised to life. Resurrection is the greatest demonstration of divine energy ever seen since creation power was unleashed. Indeed, resurrection power supersedes creation power and subsumes every demonstration of power into itself. All things social, economic, political, ecclesiastical, governmental, demonic, satanic, angelic have been put under the feet of Jesus so that the church can exercise authority. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.